Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content marketing in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and I'm delighted that you've been able to spare some time to spend with me today. Today, we travel to the UK to speak to one of the most influential people in local government in the UK. But before I introduce her, as we do each week, I will speak about the definition of content marketing as it relates to government and the public sector. It's important that we do define just exactly what content marketing is so as we can understand what the practice is all about. So, Content marketing is a strategic, measurable, and repeatable business process that relies on the creation, curation, and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder outcome. Our guest today is Catherine State, who is the Director of the Institute of Local Government Studies at the University of Birmingham in England. The mission of her university's department is to bridge the gap between local government research and practice. Prior to working at InloGov at the University of Birmingham, Catherine was the Director of Organisational Development and Policy for OPM, an independent research and consultancy institute for public sector leaders, policymakers and regulators. Catherine has held roles including non-executive director of a high-security British hospital, vice chair of a healthcare trust, and a member of the board of visitors for a local prisoner. In 2015, Catherine State was ranked in the top 100 most influential people in local government in the UK by the Local Government Chronicle. Catherine State, thanks very much for joining us in Transition. Thank you. Catherine, what is it that intrigues you or compels you to be so interested and work in local government? I think local government has a huge amount of potential to work with local people to enable everybody to make their lives better. In the past, local government has been somewhat trapped in the old sort of paternalistic model of of public services. Uh, but uh, in recent years, particularly in the UK, with, with austerity and a shortage of funding, local governments had to get better at working with local people to co-produce and co-create uh, services and to make uh, local areas better places to live. So I've always been impressed by the capacity of local government to adapt and change to changing circumstances. It, in the UK, it is the most efficient uh, part of the public service, much more efficient, for example, than the NHS. But it's often underrated by central government who like to hold the, the reins and the purse strings, and therefore local government is often frustrated in what it can do. But then it, it continues to impress me about how it makes the best of that situation and still can have a, a really, really huge beneficial impact on people's lives. 
What is it that drives that particular productivity or, or efficiency and effectiveness in that relationship between local government and the citizens? I think for uh, I think some of it is driven by austerity. I think it isn't possible anymore for local government to provide all of the services it used to provide. So those services which are it isn't obliged to provide by statute, it's looking at innovative ways of working with local people to deliver them. And that includes, for example, libraries, many of which are now run by volunteers. And without those volunteers, the libraries would simply have had to close because there just wasn't enough money uh, to keep them going, uh, and working with um, uh, with with local people to improve areas, doing you know sort of environmental cleanups and and that sort of thing. If the local authority can provide a little bit of money and a little bit of leadership, often that's all that's needed uh, to galvanise people into action. Uh, and, and in the past, when it seemed as though the local authority was responsible for it everything there wasn't much space for people to make a contribution but now everybody knows that times are hard in terms of local government and therefore it seems much easier to get people involved because they appreciate how important it is and if it's a service that they really value like libraries for example they will put their heart and soul into helping it survive are you surprised by that paradox that with less money has come stronger communities no, I'm not surprised at all because, I mean, necessities, they always say necessity is the mother of invention. But also, I think in the past, there wasn't, there was a sense almost that it was the job of the local authority to provide everything. And therefore, there was no space for people to use their creativity. And often, people in need of services were viewed as a sort of bundle of needs and, 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 and lacks of things. And now, there's much more recognition that even in relatively deprived communities, there may be a huge amount of community capacity. There may be really, really strong community links, which can be used to enable people to reach out to, for example, the elderly isolated or, 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 or families with small children. And that there's a better understanding that you don't need professionals to do everything. Lots of the work of, of making a community better, it can be done by the community itself. Although I do feel that in many of the core services from local government have really suffered through central government cuts. For example, specialist social care for older people. I do think that some of the pressures that austerity has brought to bear has led to some greater creativity. But it's still, it's still patchy. There are pockets of excellence and there are areas where people would still look at you blankly if you said something like, you know, you could co-produce better outcomes with your community. They would simply think it couldn't be done. So one of the good things about local government in the UK is they do share... Uh, uh, knowledge and good practice with each other. So often, they one at local authority who may be behind the curve will be picking up ideas from another and working out how they can do it. Uh, and local authorities do welcome other authorities to go and visit them uh, and find out how they're doing it so that they can learn. But we still suffer a little bit from that old not invented here syndrome. So sometimes people are resistant to change because they didn't think of it first. I think that the way in which local government shares means that there's really nowhere to hide now for a local authority that isn't starting to think in an innovative and creative way. 
So, Catherine, you're, you're painting a, a, a very vivid um, picture of how things are, are changing. And obviously these changes are also taking place at a time of dramatic change in terms of technology and the ability of councils to communicate with citizens and citizens to communicate with councils. And obviously that is the focus of, uh, of this podcast where we're trying to look at best practice and, and the way, uh, again, that two-way communication can take place more effectively. What are some of your observations as to how communication has been able to, uh, to, to be employed in order to improve um, or achieve some of these improvements? I think it's still very early days. I think local government is still very much in transmit mode rather than receive mode. Um, so I think so, <clears throat> some of the way in which the uh, uh, social media and technology is being used is um, for giving information and alerting people uh, to things they need to know. Also, it's being used for some of the sort of basic everyday things like, you know, reporting uh, faults online and that sort of thing. But it's not yet being utilised very effectively, in my opinion, to um, underpin dialogue between local government and, um, and the people it serves. So I think in some ways there's a... There's a there's some good beginnings, but I think there's still a long way to go. And what would you put down that, you know, reluctance to, to adopt that dialogue as opposed to, to the, the, the transmission approach? I think it's because if you think about elected members, uh, you know, elected councillors in the UK, they tend to be um, much older than the average population. Um, I think the average age of, a, of an elected member is in the 60s somewhere. So they are, you know, they being older, they tend to be uh, more reluctant to uh, adopt new technologies and new ways of working. And because they're nervous of using it, they're, they're resistant. Uh, <clears throat> and, and so uh, lacking, you know, because they lack confidence, they don't see the potential. Uh, also, I think there's a fear that people, you know, a local issue may get completely out of hand. You know, it may be um, trending on Twitter or, you know, the, you know, local people will set up a Facebook group and have uh, and all of a sudden, uh, instead of having, you know, conversations with individual people, I think some of those older members feel that they don't know how to deal with that. They don't know how to respond to it. They're, they're quite defensive and they're on the back foot. They're reactive rather than proactive. So even though the, the, the service providing side of a local authority is getting better at engaging with people about practical everyday things, members aren't very good at engaging with people um, and using the, the technology. I mean, for example, they will... Um, uh, they will live stream council meetings. But that's a very, very passive thing. You know, a member of the public couldn't dial in and ask a question. I think they need to better understand the advantages of social media in order to be able to uh, uh, to use it. Because, you know, members get very, very busy. So if they were better at using social media, it would actually probably save them time. But somewhere along, you know, somewhere they have a steep learning curve and many of them are so resistant to change um, that it is very, very hard to get them to do it. 
So in your research and in your conversations with these elected members, uh, this notion of resistance, uh, it, it obviously sounds like it's pretty strong. It is, because a lot of people come into local politics to make a difference and they think that they will make a difference by influencing the way that services are delivered. And, I mean, to you, you know, to use a really, really basic example... In the past, members have been approached by residents when when their their rubbish bin hasn't been collected, you know, which is something very, very, you know, something very, very trivial. But members would then think, right, I will go and find the officer concerned and I will say, you know, somebody needs to send out another van to collect this bin. And then, then they would feel they'd done a good job. But in actual fact... All they're doing is managing a little bit of failure demand. They weren't making any real difference to anybody's lives. But that was the sort of thing they thought that made them useful and made them feel good about themselves. So if you say, well, actually, we've got to have some really difficult conversations with people who live in this area uh, because we cannot do, we cannot repair all the roads or we cannot, um, you know, we cannot uh, keep all these libraries open. We have to make a choice. And instead of being able to use social media to engage in a much more um, deliberative dialogue uh, with, with with people, then then often what members do is they retreat to a point of view where they think, right, we'll make a decision and then we'll just deal with the fallout afterwards. And that that misses an opportunity, first of all, to make a better decision, you know, because they may not really understand the impact of the decision if they don't talk to people. Uh, and also, it, it loses them an opportunity to engage with people who might well have been happy to come forward uh, and offered some assistance, or at least would have understood better the de- the difficult nature of the choices. So I think that one of the big problems we have in the UK is recruiting people to become local authority members. And it, it's difficult for somebody to do who has a full-time job. So there is a tendency for it to be people who are retired and older. So until we can get more younger people into it, or until we can give some of those older members the confidence to use social media, I think I don't think this problem will be resolved. Okay, but do you think it's just a point in time and that the education will come and as... Um, older people adopt social media and and adopt new technologies further that that may accelerate and that problem could be addressed? Well, in theory, that does sound as though it makes sense. But because a lot of these members will carry on, you know, until they're in their 80s or, or, or older, and so I don't think they're going to change. So in a way, I think it will be a very, very slow transition. The only other... I think I think which might make a difference is if uh, local authority officers get better at um, at the, using it for dialogue, and therefore, and then they relay those messages to members, and then members see the value of it. Uh, but at the moment, it's quite difficult for officers to make a whole scale change unless members are willing to go along with it. I mean, I remember a few years ago when local authorities decided that they would go paperless. And they would give all of their members iPads or, or, or laptops and email out all the papers for meetings because some of the uh, big planning applications and so forth could be stacks and stacks of paper. And several, you know, in, uh, some of the local authorities I worked with, several members simply refused to do it. They simply refused to use a laptop. They insisted on paper. And so uh, it is... 
It is very, very hard because the relationship between officers and members is such that it's very often very hard for officers to tell members what to do because technically the members are in charge. So this sort of change can be very, very difficult to do. But I do think that it, it's, up, it's really up to officers to take the lead. And where they have, you know, I think they've, they've found it extremely useful. And do you find that amongst those officers that there is that sharing of best practice that you were mentioning before? Yes. Oh, yes, I think so. Because local government is, is recognised by the, um, the the sort of our trade press, as it were, the local government chronicle and the, uh, the municipal journal and some of the more academic um, journals that are around. They like to highlight best practice. And the local government chronicle and the municipal journal run competitions every year with a number of categories, including about local government communications with its uh, residents. So if people are doing good work, you know, they, they will put themselves forward for an award and that will showcase what they've done. So in some ways, it becomes self-evident as it becomes done more. Yeah, it's interesting though, isn't it, that given the ubiquity of technology and the abundance of channels and the usefulness that it can play, that perhaps it's not uh, reaching its potential because of some of those areas that you, you outlined before. Are there any other sort of, uh, you know, ideas that you might have to how it, you could accelerate that adoption so that you do um, see some of the best practice or could you describe some of those better practices that you have seen and you have, have researched? We actually teach, because uh, we teach postgraduate programs, we teach uh, Masters in Public Administration and, and uh, an MSc in Public Management. And what we actually do teach a module, which is Managing in the Digital Age, which is all about how technology can support uh, the work of local government. So uh, that's, you know, that's a very popular course. And we're actually considering running that, not, not as a sort of master's module, but opening up more widely as an executive development course. So anybody who works in local government could take the course. And we're also taking our teaching online. We run an online MPA and an online MSc. And uh, uh, so we are running uh, programs using that technology. And so that means that we are opening up our, uh, the knowledge that we have and sharing it much more widely uh, with people all, all around the world. And I think that we learn from our students and they bring their best practice to us and share it with their fellow students and, and also share it through us. So I think that we, we hope in our small way that we are actually going to be able to um, provide people with the knowledge and the confidence that they need in order to make the best use of technology in the interests of the people they serve. Yeah, that's, it's an interesting point. And I, I just wonder, what are your observations then around the skills of the, you know, the, the, the council officers uh, in their ability to be able to create the video and the audio um, and the photos and the text and the graphics and their ability to distribute that. Are you seeing improvements in that area? I think it's very hard because I think it's often the things that people are learning themselves almost in their spare time. I mean, my husband's a local authority chief executive and he spends a lot of his time um, online trying out new things 
Uh, but uh, I think it's just an excuse to avoid housework. And stuff. But he, um, so, you know, he's very much sort of self, nobody's teaching him. He, he's finding his way himself. Uh, but I think also that because one, a lot of the support services that have been cut in local government have been around communications. So whereas in the past you might have had somebody you could turn to and say, oh, I need to make a, a video of this thing or I need to upload some audio explaining something, you know, for people um, uh, uh, whose first language isn't English so that they can hear it uh, uh, in their own language and this sort of thing. And the people who used to be there to do that sort of thing for you aren't there now. Um, so I think there is a bit of a skills gap. It's not that, you know, a lot of people like my husband, who is not in the first flush of youth, I must say, you know, are learning how to do things differently. And, and I've been on that learning journey myself because of developing the online material. I've had to learn you know, how to make uh, short videos, how to make sort of um, uh, 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 short audio, how to, t you know, how our teaching materials are turned into animations and how, you know, short videos and, and all that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, the, the use of infographics, we've had to learn how to do that. And uh, so I think, you know, it, I understand how difficult that can be. And I, I do think having a core set of people within an organisation, uh, who is, is that, who is that, it's their job to support people to translate their material into messages or content which is going to be of use to, you know, either in terms of information or, uh, uh, you know, other purposes to the people who live in an area. I think that that would be hugely, hugely helpful if there was a pool of those people that officers could draw on. It's, it's sort of the eternal lament of this podcast, really, though, that communications is not particularly valued or, or not understood in terms of its ability to understand the needs of citizens from that behavioural science point of view, but then that production and delivery of useful, relevant and consistent content. Would you agree that it's, it's not a priority and it's unlikely to become a priority anytime soon? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I think it's even worse than that. I think comms people are often treated with distrust by their own organisation yeah. <laughs> because often they're telling people things they don't want to hear. Uh, I mean, recently in the area where I live, there's been the county council made an enormous faux pas is they decided that anybody wanted to take their rubbish to the local tip, they had to re be registered online. And there was no information in advance about why the change was being made. And the, um, uh, there was no evidence that people from neighbouring areas were sneaking into Nottinghamshire and, and dumping their stuff in Nottinghamshire tips. There was no good reason for it. It was a huge, huge hassle. And uh, the technology didn't work and they've had to abandon it. But they have lost so much public goodwill because of it. Um, because it's such a, you know, it, it's such a, they made so many stupid mistakes. Now, if they'd have gone to their comms people and said, look, we want to make a difficult change, we want to change behaviour, how do we understand what's driving the behaviour currently and how do we work out what are the changes that might help um, us get 
uh, people to, you know, dump their rubbish differently. And then they would have started from the right starting point. But what they did was they started from a spurious solution to a non-existent problem and then tried <laughs> to apply a technological solution to that non-existing problem and caused people no end of bother. And, and so, you know, that's something that's just happened in the area where I live in the last couple of months. So that's not a historical example. It's still going on. And, and I think the county council probably got rid of most of its um, communications people as part of the austerity measure because it would never have understood just how important those people were to it doing a good job as an organisation. Um, and so what you end up with now is often what's left in communications functions in local authority are fairly junior people who may be doing it as part of another job and they may have done, you know, graphic design A level or something. So they may be doing the person doing, you know, leaflets or posters, but they're not actually, they don't have any fundamental understanding of communications and PR at all. Uh, and, and I think, you know, as long as people don't recognise the importance of the function, they'll carry on making expensive mistakes because of the lack of that uh, specialist expertise, which could have helped them do the right thing. It beggars belief, really, when you consider that most of these people who you speak about in these leadership positions are very intelligent people and they understand generally... Um, what's going on and they understand the impact of technology and they're in leadership positions but then there is this lack of respect and there is this suspicion so I, I find it difficult to sort of bring the two together. Yeah I think that's right but I think you've got to remember the dichotomy between the political and the managerial you know I think a chief executive of a local authority would want to have kept their communications people because they would have seen the value of them but the politicians would have thought We've got to make cuts first where our voters won't notice. Before we cut street lighting or road repairs or uh, bin collections or services to older people or children's day centres, before we cut any of that, we'll get rid of everything that we call back office. We'll get rid of all, as many of the support functions as we can. And then doing that, we'll be saving some money. And so that's the mistake, was not understanding that some of those back office functions actually support the, the really important things. They are not, they, they're not, you know, you can't dispense with them at no cost and, and have no problem as a result. And I think the, 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 the officers, the, the, the paid staff will have had that argument with the members and they will have lost it. And it's the same in terms of investing in um, talent uh, spotting, talent management, retaining good staff. The math shows you that that is always worth doing. Uh, but the members will will think that money spent on training and developing and supporting their staff in the use of social media or other things is a waste of money because it isn't directly impacting on services because they cannot see the connection between the value that having having talent, retaining talent, brings you as an organisation. Now, that's not true of all. Many local authorities are exemplary in the sense, in the way in which they develop and support their staff and maintain their support services so that they have a balanced organisation. But for many, particularly the smaller ones, the district councils, the politicians don't get that at all. 
um, and they feel that they're making the right decision in getting rid of those functions because they think in doing that, they're actually saving services. But in the long run, they're actually making it harder for those services to function. So how, what's the way back or what's the way forward, I suppose, from, from this reality of where you say, you know, many in those smaller district councils, how, where is the path back for communications? Well, I think more and more of the smaller councils are beginning to share services so that where where skills are in short supply or, or, you know, they don't actually have enough money to employ a person themselves, what they're doing is looking at how they can um, uh, work across a number of, a cluster of councils, a number of councils together and maybe share a communications facility. So that's, that's one way forward. Um, another is, I think, just seeing the the change. I think it's challenging for uh, local authorities behind the curve. They suddenly see other people, neighbouring authorities or other places like them elsewhere in the country are doing interesting things. And I think that creates a pressure for change. And then I think champions. I mean, I think, you know, there are a number of leading chief executives who are really champions of the use of technology and social media. And they are often called on speaker conferences. So they're getting their message out. So I think things are changing. But we also are going through um, another process of upheaval and change in the UK, particularly in England, which is around the devolution of powers to clusters of local authorities um, in in places like you know Manchester and round but all of the local authorities around round Birmingham are now part of a combined authority. Now the combined authority does have a communications function because those people have recognised the importance of it. So I think as lo- local authorities come together more and share more, I think it will will have more uh, 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 impact because I think people will recognise the importance of it. But at the same time, it's likely that we may end up with another round of reorganisation, which will, will mean that a lot of those smaller authorities will cease to exist and larger unitary councils will be... Um, uh, will be formed. And again, once you get an, of a critical mass, it's much easier to be able to afford the support services that you need. Indeed, but you get further away from the, from the people. I don't and think the, so at all, in fact. Oh, you don't? Okay. No, I disagree. I think that that's a myth because I think a local authority which is really, really good at communicating with its people can be big and efficient. It doesn't have to be remote. And social media is actually, and technology is what helps that to be true. It was harder in the past if you had a large um, local authority. It might seem remote. And the way that local authorities used to try and overcome that would be by having local residence forums, um, local offices that people could go in to pay their council tax and that sort of thing. Well, now... It can all be done online. You can actually communicate with somebody who is many miles away from you instantaneously. 
And so, you know, the local authority should seem closer to you because it should be in your it's in your living room or in your car or wherever. So I think that uh, the, uh, the I, I'm a, a really, really strong proponent. And the evidence, I think, backs this up, that lo large local authorities need not be remote at all. Um, I think that the area that they cover has to mean something to people. You know, there has to be some sort of historical or geographical relevance to the area that they cover. Uh, but basically, I don't think it's necessary for them to be small in order them, for them to feel local and relevant. Sure. But you're not arguing that it's time to do away with face-to-face -face communication. There still has to be that face-to-face -face component to any sort of engagement with, with the citizens. Oh, absolutely. I think that's right. And I think, I mean, we use a sort of um, uh, a development on Arnstein's ladder to look at the types of communication that local authorities have with people from along a spectrum from giving them information through to a situation where they actually delegate responsibilities to citizens. And, and the further you get towards the delegation end of the spectrum, the more important it is that you have really strong face-to-face -face connections with the people who are work, you know, with the residents who are working alongside the council. So I, I think... And also, I think for people who are vulnerable, people with learning disabilities or other disabilities, uh, people of complex needs, I think they will always need somebody to sit down with them face to face and talk to them. But for the vast majority of the population, they will choose these days, they will choose to engage uh, 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 through technology because, you know, we've now got such a 24-7 culture. You know, the old days when you went to pay your council tax and the council and the office was closed because it was a Wednesday afternoon, you know, those days are gone. But also, people need to talk to each other, and local authorities can set up groups of people to support each other and work out how they want to make their area better. But those people can keep in touch with each other and share ideas via social media as well, because, you know, we don't, you shouldn't always have to go to meetings in order to get things done. Although often, in my experience, it's meetings, it's those physical face-to-face -face meetings and discussions that start things off. Once you've got those relationships established, you can get, um, you can get an awful lot done uh, 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 through social media. It's certainly a, a fascinating time in the UK, isn't it? This whole change driven by austerity, driven by, uh, you know, renewal, d driven by the need to, you know, reorganise the place. Just looking forward, if you might, just into the next, say, 18 months to two years, what are some of those other changes that are going to continue to take place? And what role can communications have in ensuring that, you know, there is this greater success as it sort of this moves to, to clustering takes place? Well, I think there will be more combined authorities and that is, leaves a challenge for those areas that don't become part of combined authorities because they won't be getting the delegated powers and the resources from central government that combined authority areas are getting. And I think that will bring um, a real challenge. I think for the combined authorities, as they become more ambitious... Because at the moment, they're focusing a lot of it on infrastructure. But as they become more ambitious, I mean, for example, the West Midlands Combined Authority is looking at the mental health of the population across the whole of the West Midlands. Well, you know, that isn't about 
pouring concrete or putting up girders. That's actually about understanding people's lives. It's about ethnography. It's about really, really good quality insight into the pressures and strains that are damaging people's mental health and how you know, civil society could be better organised in order for that, you know, not to have such a negative impact, you know, away from the, you know, the big ticket capital investments through to a much more uh, personal and um, human uh, area of services. Then I think social media and uh, and engaging with people through advocacy organisations and voluntary sector organisations, but reaching out to people through social media, I think there will be a huge amount of opportunities for that. And I think that will really change the discourse. It will change the way in which people think about the people who use services. Because once you give people a voice, you can never go back to the paternalistic narrative. Once you give people a voice, you have to have a citizenship narrative in which they have rights and duties, and they are not just the grateful recipients of whatever local authorities and other services decide to dole out. So I think the balance of power in services will change a lot through that discourse, and I think before long it will become the norm to be engaging with people in a really... um, uh, open and inclusive way and we're not there yet uh, but I think the seeds have been sown and I think in the next couple of years we'll start to see a real uh, real development in that area of work. Well Catherine State on that very happy and optimistic note for communicators because I think that's obviously the sweet spot where the communications people can bring their their skills in terms of that Um, engagement with citizens in order to um, strengthen the communities and improve the lives of people who can work there. And I'm I'm sure that you will continue to study and follow this very closely. What are the what is the best way that people might be able to access some of that training that you mentioned and also some of your, your research? Where are the best places to find that? We, we Obviously, we have our, our website, the University of Birmingham's website, which is www.bham.ac.uk uh, forward slash InlaGov. And if anybody's interested in any of our um, online programmes, if you look at birmingham.ac.uk uh, forward slash public hyphen leadership, then you'll be able to see our programs there. Fabulous. Well, Catherine State, thank you very much for giving up some of your day to share your insights, your experience and your wisdom um, with our audience. I know they will have appreciated that. You've taken us on a on a great journey, looking back, looking forward and best of luck with all your work and uh, and keep at it. All right. Thanks ever so much. Lovely to talk to you. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.